Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Bruce Bortleby here. He really likes you. How do you know? Believe me. Who told you? Can't say. Dead set. Yeah. Isn't that her? Yeah. <laughs> Who is he? One of the boys. I've seen you down at the beach. Works for his old man. And he's got a paddle van. Oh, God, do I look all right? <laughs> Rootable. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting and welcome to Fred Watch where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. We most certainly do, Philip. Hey mate. Yes. We have a special guest with us today. We do. <gasps> Welcome, Fulia. Hello. Hey, <laughs> Welcome back to Fred Watch. Thank you. It's good to be back. Oh, always <laughs> a pleasure to have you, Fulia. Hey, what's something you've watched recently that you'd love to share with us? Well, in the past week, I decided that being that it is the 35th anniversary of Studio Ghibli's establishment mm-hmm. coming up in, I think it's June. Right. I decided to revisit Hayao Miyazaki's My Neighbor Totoro. Love, love, love that movie. Yes. So what was that like revisiting? I was really, it was really wonderful to just see all the different things that were happening throughout the film. Again, remembering the scenes that I really enjoyed and how uh, Totoro was actually introduced in the film and what the story was actually about. Because, you know, sometimes you, you, because this was a film that I watched once and then I hadn't watched it since. And it's been a long time. Yeah. So remembering a lot of the scenes has been a little bit sort of finicky for me. Yeah. So being able to rewatch it again and remembering what's happened, it was um, really good. Yeah. And it says a lot about a film that you can, you know, hold in high esteem or memory and then go back and watch it and still really enjoy it, if not more so. Exactly. Yeah. And Philip, how about yourself? What have you been watching since the last podcast? Well, I have watched a movie called Ray. Okay. And it's about Ray Charles. Oh, yes, I do remember this yes. one. It's a great film. Very good film. Yeah. I will admit, I was halfway through it, and I just had one of my moments, which everyone seems to love, when I just went, oh, Kirsten looks at me and goes, what? And I said, this is Ray Charles, not Stevie Wonder. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm sitting there going, because I know both oh, of their backstories. Goodness, I know both of their backstories sort of uh, uh, vaguely, and I'm sitting there going, I'm sure this guy was more sort of in the rock and roll, more the sort of later stuff. And then I'm like, oh yeah, wait, it's uh, Ray Charles, not Stevie Wonder. He did gospel. Whoops. <laughs> so yeah, that was a fun little moment I had. But yes, yeah, very good movie. I love how these sort of bio movies always seem to take one element of their negative part of their life but then gloss over all the other crap the person did well you have to keep your audience engaged and if you're an absolute joke throughout the whole film nobody's going to like you and if you're well revered Mm. it's a different type of film it's not really a biopic per se it's almost like an expose i suppose but this is the thing by the end of the movie spoilers he's sort of got his life back on track and then they do one of these sort of word montage things where he went on to do. And blah, 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 blah. Mm. But he's got his life back on track. His wife comes back to him and they seem to finally have that beautiful, perfect relationship. Yeah. But if you know the reality, she left him not long after. <laughs> he was just a so-and-so. So, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting how these movies selectively take bits of history. I, just, I, I find it fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always an angle that you go for don't you because you can't cover it all and again if you focus more on the negative it's a different type of movie mm. but I'm tempted not to continue this conversation because I'm still getting over the fact you confused Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will just end it on though you say you know that you've got to choose but then you have something like I Love You Philip Morris mm-hmm. where the end bit sort of showed that he didn't really <laughs> rehabilitate. But then that's established throughout the whole film, however. True, for true. those listeners who remember our review of I Love You, Philip Morris, that it was actually one of the angles of the movie. Mm. It's his repeated escapes and continued breaking yeah. the law. Yeah. That's a good point. Different kettle of fish. It's funny, though. It, but you're right, though. To show somebody who maybe doesn't change or grow, 
it can be difficult to still like them. But with Philip Morris, you almost just like him even more. Yeah. <laughs> and Wayne, how about you? Well, Philip, I've seen a beautiful French animated movie called I Lost My Body. Ooh. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And it's a wonderfully written and animated piece. And it's essentially about a dismembered hand <laughs> that makes its way through Paris trying to find the rest of its body. Yes, I've seen the trailer to this. It looks really interesting. I really, really enjoyed this movie. You kind of don't really know what to expect from it. Mm -hmm. uh, it delivers. It's the type of story that I do like. I like things a bit more darker and edgy, but still with a sweet spot, I suppose. And this movie is quite sweet. It's a foaming uh, but it's not like Hollywood gloss or mm. anything. So it's, that's a movie I actually highly recommend. It's called I Lost My Body. It's nice to hear that thing got some work after Adam Sandler. It's funny you say that because <laughs> there are moments yeah. when you really do just have thing in your head. <laughs> Especially as, as, as I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, Phil, mm. that I've recently gone back and watched some of the yep. old school Adam's Family episodes, and so now I'm actually more sort of attuned <laughs> to the thing, I suppose. And but there are moments where you almost feel like this this hand. Yeah. This, I was going to say creature, but no, it's a hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's it stepping out of the Adam's Family. Uh, That's it's, cool. But so it does make you wonder the musical. Yeah, well, it does make you wonder <laughs> that it could actually probably be Thing's backstory. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, but Just, definitely get on it. Um, what did you think of the animation style? Oh, I loved it. It's got this sort of uh, realism to it. Yes, yeah, so I really, I really like it. I like when people do different things with animation. Mm. I think especially because anime, that type of style, is so prevalent, and yeah. I love anime. In saying that, when a studio does do animation in a different way, mm. uh, especially because we're so used to, you know, the Pixar computer-generated yes. stuff, it sort of that old-fashioned ink on paper or however they do yeah, it hand is, drawn. yes yeah. is just is just it's quite refreshing and lovely and there's something really nice about mm. it it also does ground the movie in more of a realism yep. than the story and the premise allows you because yep. you know it's, it's a hand that has a mind of its own <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know thinks for itself and so forth so i think the animation style actually serves the story really really oh, well that's good. yeah so fully you're a huge fan of animation i am this is going to be a film that's maybe out of your comfort zone for what you normally watch mm. highly recommended okay. i cannot stress it enough how much i love that movie right, it's it's on it's on my netflix to watch list so <laughs> yes absolutely get on it people now wayne yes What's today's film? Well, today, Philip, we are reviewing the iconic Australian coming-of-age story, Puberty Blues. Please explain. Over the course of one hot Sydney summer, best friends Debbie Vickers and Nell Schofield and Sue Knight, Jad Kapalja, attempt to become popular by integrating themselves with the Greenhill gang of surfers who have a careless attitude toward casual sex, drugs and alcohol. Bruce Beresford's screen adaptation of Gabrielle Carey and Kathy Lett's best-selling novel is not only a snapshot of an era of sexism in Australian surfing culture, but is also a raw look at those awkward pubescent years. So, Fulia, did this bout of puberty make you feel a little blue? Made me feel a little uncomfortable. Oh, a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, please, elaborate. Oh, my goodness. It's uh, watching something like that in today's times where everything's mm. so very PC, mm. it... Seeing that just made me feel just very uneased. Yeah. And I just, just, and a lot of the things that have happened throughout that film, I thought to myself, my goodness, you could not be able to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So the film was made in 1981 based mm -hmm. on a novel that was published in 1979. Wow. So unlike films that will, you know, retrospectively tell stories mm. where nostalgia can make things a bit more glossy and mm. shiny, this is made in the era that it is actually set. So that rawness has a reality to it. And I think probably, and uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps you're uncomfortable feelings towards moments of this film was because it was so raw and so real. It was a true reflection, perhaps? No, yeah, probably. I, I would say that would have been the case. Yeah. But, yeah, just sitting there trying to get through this movie, it, for me, I felt drained by the end of it because of all the things that have been happening. And mm. as a teenager myself, you know, I never behaved in that way yeah. growing up. Because I knew that my parents would be very disappointed in me if I did. Yes. And also, I went to an all-girls school. Mm -hmm. 
But weren't you rebellious, Fulia? Yeah. Did you ever have a rebellious streak? Well, this is, you're right, Phil. This is actually a question that I was thinking as well because, you know, Sue and Debbie are quite rebellious. Yeah. And their goal is to be in with the in crowd, to be with the popular kids. Yeah. So was that something that didn't appeal to you as a child or did it, but you just wouldn't go to the lengths that these girls did? In high school, for me, it's... Uh, I was sort of in those groups where there was sort of middle ground. So not mm. popular, but not loser. Yeah, not sort the Sort of in the middle. Yeah. And nobody, nobody really noticed. Yeah. But nobody really picked on me either. Yeah. I mean, there were like name callings here and there. But for me, it... I thought it was more of a term of endearment than it was you know, bullying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, kids always call each other. Names yeah, and anyway. and the fact that I went to an all girls school, I just I just let it go over my head because yeah. I I didn't want to have it affect me in any way. Yeah. So I just thought, you know what? If they're gonna say what they're gonna say, I, I don't really. I'm not really friends with them. So even though I'm in the same class with them, doesn't mean I have to associate with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Phil, what about your impressions of puberty blues? I had no strong feelings one way or the other. Yeah. So you <laughs> couldn't relate to the girls. I actually, maybe at the very start. Yeah. So again, Philly, where you say you were sort of in the middle ground, I was very distinctly at the bottom end of the food chain <laughs> yeah. in my school. So where but, Debbie and Sue begin. Uh, yeah, so when the movie first started, mm-hmm. I sort of could relate to them, but it made me feel more anxious and more scared almost, that sort of anxiety yeah. sort of thing from memories of being said nerd. Yeah. But the other thing is... I went to a school which was a very small school. My year 12 that I was in was the biggest we'd had in over 10 years of 13 students. Wow. The year before me was three girls, two of which left because of pregnancy. (laughs) It was, you know, it was a very different thing. We'd never had the true clicks that you hear about with... Like, you had your popular kids. You had your... For want of a better word, slutty kids, that's what they're called, but you know, the, the, the sluts. Mm. You had your, your, we didn't really have nerds per se, there weren't enough nerds to be a group. Yeah. And this is the difference that I had. My group, because the school was so small, the cliques were big enough to have just about everyone could be part of a clique. Mm. There was no middle ground. There was no real middle ground. Yeah. And so, and I'm sure other people at my school would say otherwise, but. Yeah. But the thing was, my group consisted not so much of just, oh, you're just losers. My group was people that just weren't quite good enough for their clique. Mm. So, whereas in, in these other movies, you always see, you know, oh, they're the nerds, they're the, they're the drama nerds, they're yeah. the music nerds, they're the stoners. These are all the uncool people, but they're still in their own clique. I had all those clicks in one group. Mm. I had a footy player that just wasn't into footy as much as everyone else. I had someone who was in the popular girls who just couldn't afford all the clothing brands that everyone else. So could. were you all I essentially had what we called the offshoots, yeah. the offcuts. I was going to say, were you all essentially the leftovers? Yeah, we were the leftovers. <laughs> yeah, and I because I actually didn't even have a group that. I wasn't even an offcut. I was just this entity unto myself. I became almost the leader of this offshoot group <laughs> because there were no other drama nerds. There were no other computer nerds. There were no other. I was the one and only. So I struggle with these type of movies because, yes, I can empathize with being bullied and yes, I can empathize, but... I was so far down the totem pole, I didn't even bother looking up. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked I looked in the opposite direction and went, bugger it, I'm making my own... <laughs> like, I got bullied, most certainly. But my answer wasn't, oh, I'm going to try to be more popular to do I just went, well, I'm going to be bullied. This is my lot in life. Let's have fun making little movies. Let's have fun yeah. uh, 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 with our own little games and stuff. Because... We there was no chance of redemption for our group. Yeah, so Fulia and Philip, your adolescent years was early two thousands. Your yes. teenage yes. years was yes. early two yes. thousands. So we're thinking for these girls here, it's mm. nineteen eighty one. Yeah. So we've got quite a few years mm. gap here, two decades essentially, yeah. right? 
And I think this is the reflection of the time and, of course, how we have progressed. So also touching upon what you were saying is that, you know, the language, I suppose, and some of the actions Mm. of the kids in this film might have been confronting for you. Oh, yeah, very much so. And I appreciate that it would affect you more because you are a female. There is no way that that type of language could impact Philip and myself to the level of yourself being female. Mm. You know, Philip and I might, our eyebrows might be raised and might be taken aback by yeah. it or but even feel confronted. Yeah. There is no way we, we, we understand. We can sympathise, we can't empathise. No, there, yeah. we, there is no way that we could even appreciate or understand that. Well, that's the thing because as a, as a, as a female, I look, look at that film and I think to myself, I was never rebellious Mm. When I was a teenager, yes. but I would be pissed off with my parents, of course. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'd ha- always have arguments and stuff like that. Yeah, that's normal but teenage stuff. The thing is, there was no way that I was able to sneak out of home to do <laughs> the stuff that they did because <laughs> the places that I would have wanted to go to were nowhere near close walking distance <laughs> for me to do that. Well, we had the same problem. I lived on a farm, so I mean, if I snuck off. It'd be a good 5k walk just to get to anywhere. Exactly. You know what I mean? And the other thing for me is that, you know, I never really associated with being rebellious and going out and hanging out with guys because I went to an all girls school. <laughs> for me, it was more a case of I want to be with my friends rather than, oh, I want to go and have sex with boys. Because that's the key to popularity. We're going to go a bit more in depth about mm. the representation of women here and the critique of sexism that this film has. But, you know, you've talked about what it was like being teenagers yourself. So I was a teenager in the 90s. I can appreciate being bullied. I can appreciate wanting to be popular. But I was never driven like these girls are. It was never the whole, I will do anything to be popular. Yes, it is different, I think, for girls than it is for boys. And I was also similar to you, Philip, I think. It was more like my group of friends that I hung out with we weren't the cool kids. Yeah, probably a bit nerdy, but not really. Mm. You know, we did okay in school. Some did really well. Others not so much. We were just the mixed bag. And I'm so glad that I had the friends that I had in high school. But I came across a comment on a YouTube video from somebody who was a teenager at the time. And just, I guess, to put it in perspective, she talks about a moment in the film Mm. and how the audience reacted to it. Mm. So this is a comment from a viewer called Wendy Joseph, and she said, saw this at the theater. It was a matinee session during the school holidays and the place was packed with teens. When the character discovered that she wasn't pregnant, the entire theater erupted as the young'uns cheered, whistled, stomped, and clapped like maniacs. It was wonderful. So (laughs) we're seeing already just through this comment that teens at the time Mm. Connected, reacted, and it it was a true reflection. There's a lot of reasons why puberty blues, I suppose, resonated with kids back then and perhaps kids now. We're going to save that for our final comments (laughs) and scores at the end of the podcast because it was a reflection of reality. Mm. So if puberty blues is so realistic, what do you think this actually tells us about this particular era of Australian culture? What are your impressions having none of us really lived it? I'd say it was a lot worse than what I'd always thought. Mm. So watching it, I actually thought you saying uh, you saying it's set in eighty one. Yeah. Even if you sort of look at it as set in seventy nine when the book was released, yes, that still it feels the the culture feels a lot later than what my brain interprets as. Um, those sort of attitudes and what I mean by that is for me early 70s you still have kids reflecting their parents being like yeah women have their place and all Mm. that but by the late 70s I'm not saying it's a total turnaround Mm. but I've always felt you have a lot more uh, fight and rebellion you have a lot more you know women's rights coming through definitely by the early 80s you have this shift in the paradigm again not to this absolute you know Mm. perfect pc world uh uh, point but it's a definite shift compared to i I felt these attitudes Mm. felt more like something from early 70s late 60s yeah which really goes against my understanding of the 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 progression of uh 
uh, of cultural norms. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this narrative is told through the viewpoint of mm. girls who lived it mm. as as well. Mm. So it's, I think, good in terms of an education or a yeah, wake-up call cool. that you're like, oh, wow. You that know, late. Uh, yeah, that mm. late. Because really, it's almost 40 years ago in the grand scheme of world history yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not that long ago mm. so i mean we can see the progression now again why we you know react to the language and some of the attitudes and motivations as well like what these girls go through to be an, in the in crowd yes by the end they learn it's not the be all and end all mm. um, again we can talk about that a bit later but you know most of the film is them sacrificing a lot of things or compromising a lot of things about themselves to maintain popularity. The thing that got me the most there... Yeah. And that really shone that through for me, because, again, even a lot of the attitudes of, you know, uh, who you sleep with, who you do... Mm. That was a massive issue, even in our era. Yes. And perhaps now for teenagers, perhaps. Yeah, very, very... uh, Probably. But it was the surfing. Yep. It was, oh, women don't surf. And I'm sitting there going... I'm sure surfer girls were... They were singing about surfer girls in the 50s, mm-hmm. surely by the 70s, mm-hmm. and remembering that I, watching this, was thinking, oh, this is going to be sort of early 70s. So even now, it's like, early 80s, there were surfer chicks. Where, mm-hmm. where are these people buried their heads in the sand? Yeah. <laughs> well, here but, we go. We're on a beach, you know, in Cronulla. Mm. And so, you know, geography plays an important part of people's attitudes. You know, mm. metropolitan people have a different mindset to people who are rural, to people who are coastal and, you know, all, mm. all of these different elements. So it could feel a bit more slow in terms of progress. But yes, they do make a big deal about it. Mm. So it's a really interesting film, I think, in terms of depicting surfer culture because I find that type of culture quite interesting, but it's not one that I live or experience mm. or anything. So I find this window into a world that I've never experienced mm. and probably will never. And in terms of its sexism angle, mm. I'm glad I will never experience. But fully, as somebody who perhaps doesn't surf or isn't, you know, a coastal liver, how does the the depiction, I suppose, of Australia in early 1980s come across to you in terms of the white Anglo-Saxon surfing mm. lifestyle that was the ideal? Well, watching it sort of... I, like, I've never really known what it would have been like to be able to live through the 80s. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a suburban girl. I always have been. So I don't know what it's like to live near the beach. Yeah. Or I, I don't even know how to surf. I've tried. I know I've failed <laughs> miserably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But... Just yeah, seeing seeing that, I think to myself, wow, okay, I'm kind of glad I'm not part of that culture. I'm glad that I didn't grow up in that era. Yeah. Did you find this insight or this view, this little snippet, interesting or was it too repulsive to be interesting? It was, it was really hard for me to be interested in what was going on. Mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like maybe because of the fact that, you know, the guy's couldn't care less about what the girls did while they did their own thing. Yeah. Sort of put me off. No, absolutely. And, you know, like, I agree with with Debbie when towards the end she starts saying there's more to life than just surfing. Mm. Like, you can go out and do other things, you know. Yeah. She and, gets quite bored being passive, doesn't she? Yeah. And I, I kind of I kind of agree. If I was in a if I was in a relationship with a surfer guy like that who didn't care about me and would only care about surfing, mm. I would have ended it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. The girls got pretty bored by the end oh, of it my all. Goodness. I got bored of it just watching it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, how can the guys just sit there playing poker or whatever it was while the girls just sit around and smoke and just watch them And bake, bake cake. Yeah. Again, <laughs> and I think, again, this is where you see that the children are sort of taking on what they've viewed of their parents. Mm-hmm. So they which again is why it threw me with the eras and stuff. Yeah. But their parents would have had that sort of attitude and you would have seen, you know, the bridge night where the women are all fussing in the kitchen and uh, the, the, the blokes are all sitting around smoking and then they all come out. Once the food comes out, they all come play bridge. Mm-hmm. But if it's a poker night, they, yeah, it would have been the men playing poker while the women fussed in the kitchen and rah, rah, rah. 
again, that's thrown me with the era because I would have thought that would have all shifted back. But obviously, it's something that's stuck around a lot longer. Mm. Yeah. So sorry, I, I keep fascinating on that, but it's no. But I think what well, I think if a movie can do that, mm. I think that's fantastic. You know, whether you enjoy the movie or not, you go well. Actually, mate, this has made yes, me, bit, yeah. you know, change my viewpoint and my and mm. it's shifted the way I'm thinking. So I mean, like, well, maybe how reliable is the film in terms of a of a reflection? Personally, I think quite reliable. So it's based on a best-selling book by two young girls, Kathy and Gabrielle. So the book was hugely embraced upon being published because kids could relate to it and it shocked a lot of adults. So at the time, there were criticisms of the film because of the differences between itself and the novel. So for example, the ages of Debbie and Sue in the film is actually increased to what it is in the novel. This was done because of censorship reasons. So when we consider... Do I dare to ask how old? They're 13. In the book? Yes. And in, in the movie? 16. Oof. Yes. So <laughs> when we you know, consider uh, what the, the girls get up to and what the choices they make and what yeah. they're faced with in real life, because the two authors are basing it on their own experiences... There are 13 at the time. Mm. Yeah. Again, that's quite confronting as well. Debbie's voiceover and narration is actually taken from the novel. So a lot of the stuff that is said over voiceover are actually excerpts from the novel. So again, keeps it quite connected and adds to that realism, I think. They got rid of some surface slang as well. It was a bit obscure because you want to appeal to a broader audience. Like that's fair living, living on a beach. Uh, you know, some slang is very Australian, like mole. <laughs> very. <laughs> Dead set. <laughs> Heaps. Uh, I do love that evolution of language, and I like that some of that language is still <laughs> is still filtered through Australian youth as well. The uh, tone of the novel itself is actually darker than the movie, so elements of humour are added into the film that weren't in the novel, uh, most specifically that brawl on the beach. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, Fulia, you had made a comment, actually, that when they were fighting on the beach... Uh, something was missing. Do you remember what you had observed? Yeah, there was no blood or bruising of any kind. And then later when it cuts back to them being at high school, there's no bruising on their yeah. faces or anything like yeah. that. Some of those punches should have left internal bleeding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. It became but, very comical. This is the whole point of it, to lighten up what's already you know a, a darker tone because you've got some comical gags in the fight mm. as well. Also, when Debbie discovers that she's not pregnant, in the film, it's her period is late. And, you know, she's relieved when she gets her period. <laughs> or as the girls did say back then, periods. periods. Yes, the, the plural. Because <laughs> you can never have more than one. No, not at once anyway. <laughs> and in the novel, uh, she actually is pregnant and okay. she miscarries. Ooh, yeah. Early on in the in the stages of her pregnancy, yep. wow. and it is a welcome miscarriage. She's relieved because yeah. now she doesn't have to face it, doesn't have to deal with it. But I can see why they changed that out. Even today, that's yeah. sort of difficult to deal with. Well, that is quite confronting as well because, especially from a conservative mm. point of view, why would you welcome a miscarriage? Why would you be happy? Why would you mm. be relieved? Mm. All of these different thought processes and cultural and moral codes come into play. So that is quite confronting someone being happy at mm. miscarrying. But, you know, a 16-year-old girl who did not want a child mm. and her boyfriend is now getting into drugs, of course it would be welcome. Yeah, yeah. But, yes, let's lighten the tone. Let's make it a little bit easier for everyone and make it a late period. We heard before by somebody who was there watching the film with teenagers, the reaction. It was a celebration mm-hmm. amongst teens. Again, a late period makes it a bit lighter yeah. than a miscarriage. There are also references to abortion in the novel that didn't make it into the film. Again, we're lightening the tone. But people who really love the book found this a problem in the movie. I think it perhaps makes the film a bit more accessible and yeah. maybe stand up better. It's an easier pill to swallow, so to speak, mm-hmm. by keeping these tones a bit light. Probably one of the more confronting things, though, is that in the novel, Debbie and Sue are more willing participants in the activities, mm. in the rebellion, in their quest for popularity, the things they do to be popular and and, and to be liked by people. Mm. They're not victims. Yeah, I'm not saying that the girls are victims in the film version, but we see them questioning and having yeah. second thoughts and, and discussing. It just feels a bit more responsible, yeah. I suppose. So 
based on some of the things that were in the original novel, had the film maintained a darker tone, how would it have sit with you with a film that's already confronting on some levels? Oh, I don't think I would have had the same reactions as I did hmm. with what it is right now. I'd probably be a lot more taken aback and yeah. just... It'd be a lot more confronting if it was a lot darker yeah, than I, what it already I is. I think it would, especially if they kept them at the age that they are in the night. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's a totally different movie well, by The other thing stage. is there was a scene where there was a, what looked to be like a, maybe a, a nine or 10 year old kid smoking in a billiard. Like billiards. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't even, how are they even allowing that? Oh yeah. Back in the eighties yeah. where, where, where kids would go to the local milk bar uh, look that up for people who don't know what a milk bar is. Uh, <laughs> we'd go to the local milk bar and just pick up cigarettes for the parents. And yep. it wasn't questioned. Yep. Different, different era. I actually think the movie would have been more interesting. Right. Okay. I would have enjoyed it a bit more, I think, because it mm. would have been taking so much more of a stance. It would have been saying, hey, this is gritty reality. Whereas at the moment, it does actually feel mm. censored. It does feel... Like we're being sort of led by the hand through this little moral quandary and saying, mm, what do you think? What do you th-? Oh, well, that's a really interesting point you make, Philip, because I'm now curious, mm. based on that, how does that sit with your initial thoughts that these attitudes that were present between men and women and, and the boys and girls that seemed a lot more backdated? So it's kind of like... Oh, you know, it would have... The- I'm not saying I would... Still not be surprised. It, was, yeah. it would have, like Fulia said, confronted me even further. Added another layer, maybe. But it's because the only thing I can really take from this is being is the sort of, oh, it's interesting that my thoughts of where mm. the errors were. But all that does is make me shift my timeline. Slightly. Right. Okay. All that this has done is made me go, oh, okay, so it was a bit further on then. And that doesn't... Matter. And that doesn't change your overall perspective? No, because oh. for me it's just sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. So... If you'd told me this was set in the late 60s, the only difference I would have had would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. And so for me, it does feel... I'm also a 30-year-old man watching this for the first time. I honestly feel that this movie is supposed to be watched in your teens. Mm. If I watched this in my teens and I hadn't seen things like Look Both Ways, Kite Runner... Any of those sort of movies you see at in high school, yeah. those type movies, then yeah, I probably it probably would have resonated a bit more. With okay, me. but the other thing I'm feeling with this is that at the time of release, so we talk a lot about movies that mm. do they hold up, do they yeah. resonate now, do they still talk now? This one for me feels like it's at the time of release would have been a almost a wake-up call, mm. would have been a, this is what your children are doing, mm. would have been a bit of a, you know, like for the teens, they could, hey, that's me. Yeah, yeah. But because attitudes and times have changed so much, mm. we don't get that sense as fully. But the movie within itself then doesn't go on to be a time capsule. It actually, to me, yes, it is great to see. Mm. And obviously we can turn around and say, yes, this is. But it doesn't hold up in its story as well as I feel Mm. some of the others we've watched have. Right. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to disagree with you Mm, on that one. In terms of that, I think because the language and the actions, and I actually think particularly from the male characters, Mm. are confronting and challenge us. I think that makes the story hold up so well because we couldn't make a movie like this set now. It just wouldn't fly. But that's what I'm saying is that's because you wouldn't need to. This movie, when it was made, Mm. all those actions and all that confrontingness Mm. was them saying, look at what you're like. This is a mirror to you. Look at yourselves. Mm. If we had, we've had movies like that yeah, absolutely. made today, and you have your mirror mm. put up. Some movies where the mirrors put up go on to be things where you look at it and go, "Oh, okay, this is a nice little time capsule." Other ones are just like, "No, that that 
It's hard because I'm not trying to say it does. It isn't. It is yeah. actually really good. Yes, you're right. It is really good at letting us look at. Hey, this is what it was like back mm. then. But for me, it is more akin to a documentary now right. than an entertainment piece. Oh, it is, okay. It is not engaging to me, at least. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not engaging. It's not enthralling. I can't feel connected with the characters, but I can look at it like a documentary and go, oh, okay, cool. So this is what the era was like. This yeah. is what... Oh, cool. That's interesting. It's an interest peaker, not a... Right. Investment piece. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that if... Uh, That's for me. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, of course. I mean, and I feel like that the themes are still relevant. So the film itself, I don't think would be made today mm. going into the detail or the angles that it takes. Mm. But I think, unfortunately, some of the themes it touches upon are still relevant. So that's where I think my perspective mm. is coming from. But I love your viewpoint on this. I find that fascinating. Mm. But if you were to bring it from that point of view, then, mm. then Shakespeare is still relevant. But Shakespeare is still relevant because the themes are but, enduring. But you wouldn't make a piece like Shakespeare now. What I'm trying to drive at is yeah. that, yes, the... The themes, overarching themes of bullying, of yeah. acceptance, of popularity, they're still there. Yes. But within the context of how this particular film... I wouldn't show this film to teenagers today and expect them to be able to go, Oh, well, th that's me. I would show them something more modernised. So well, you always want could... to, though. But you always want to, because mm. that's when there is that greater reflection. Yeah. Uh, Teenagers today would not be able to relate to teenagers in 1981. Mm. However, there are elements I think that they would still be able to mm. connect to. I think what's quite interesting about Puberty Blues is that it's unique in terms of its uh, proto-feminist narrative. So the film comes out in between waves of feminism mm. and it essentially is third wave feminism before third wave feminism <laughs> exists. When we think about a text and a story that comes from the viewpoint of two young girls and is quite raw and is a bit, you know, more warts and all, that's quite unique and quite special, really, I think, in terms of Australian literature and Australian cinema. Mm. So considering the changes from the source material, I still think the film can be considered a feminist text. I mean, it addresses sexism in a really strong and brutal and raw manner, especially when we think about how the female characters are treated. One particular character who I always find the more interesting is Frida, who's being played by Tina Robinson. So, Fulio, what were your thoughts about the character of Frida? I kind of, I kind of felt for her because... Mm. Not because no one really wanted to associate with her, being yeah. that she was the the nerd. Yeah, um, and she's not classified as pretty. No, she doesn't have a boyfriend. Yeah, you exactly. Know. And I feel like when when I was in high school, I I may have felt the same way as her. When even though I went to an all girl school, um, you know, girls can be very bitchy. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, I never really considered myself as being the popular pretty type. So I kind of had this empathetic feeling for for frida yeah and the when the way that she's treated just uh, it, it really confronts me because mm. it just really upsets me yeah i find the character almost quite tragic and not because she's pathetic or anything like that but the manner she is treated mm. is a reflection on the culture and the society that yeah. she is a part of she tries to be involved she's there on the beach yeah but, you know, she's with the losers. Exactly. You know, because as we learn early on, the beach is divided into three sections. Mm. And Frida, no doubt, with the losers. She doesn't really have any friends. She tries to talk to the girls, even away from the beach, and she is dismissed. Like all nerds, she's at the front of the classroom and is quiet. The scene that I find perhaps the most confronting in the film actually involves Frida. And that is when she's tricked into having sex with the three boys. Yeah, I definitely agree. That that was probably the most confronting because, you know, the boys, are they've, they've only got one thing on their mind and yeah. they were like, all right, we're, we're going to find a way to use her for our sexual pleasures. Yeah, absolutely. And the boys just offer her a ride home because she's uh, walking uh, on the shopping strip, buying a present for her brother. And like, oh, we'll give you a ride home. And then based on that, 
you know, one of the boy pretends to, you know, stand up for, for Frida and be like, no, you know, don't touch her, you leave her alone and things like that. The other two pretend to beat him up. Yep. Now, at this stage, you could argue, oh, it's really comical because they're overacting and things like that and rah, rah, rah. But we can't shy away from the consequences of that action. Even, I suppose, that scene is played with the intention to be funny mm. because you know when she goes to the boy's rescue she's like oh you know just stop hurting him i'll have sex with you rah rah like she's coming to his defense and then the boys snap yeah, yeah okay no worries mm. they open the back of the van and so forth and then they argue the order mm. and of course you know the boy who is third or who will be third to have sex with her is told you'll get slops that's you know, they're talking about Frida mm. because he gets the third round, so to speak, with her. And then they argue because he doesn't always want to be the one who gets slops, quote unquote. It's quite abhorrent, <laughs> really, yeah. like this manner. And the only true consequence comes is when the boys drop her off in the street, not even bother taking her home. No. And Debbie and Sue find her across the street, just sitting on the floor, a bit disheveled. Yeah. And, you know, one of the boys goes, essentially, don't worry about it, she's a mole. She's gone from being a loser to a mole. So slang for someone who's promiscuous. Yeah, I just find that whole sequence tragic. It's a highlight, for lack of a better word, from my point of view, because it is so powerful. Mm. Now, again, the circumstances that Frida is tricked into having sex with these boys are played quite lightheartedly here, mm. but it's confronting and disturbing oh, and you know there's an aggression to it mm. and one could argue oh come on no one would really fall for that rah, rah. again i think they're trying to add some humor here mm. but something along these lines is still relevant today i feel oh definitely mm. it just feels like she just got raped yeah she was nothing that's you know. all it was yeah she was a quick route yeah and it was accepted it was accepted no consequence mm. towards these boys yeah and there was nothing that she could really do about it. No, and it almost comes across as that it is so ingrained in the culture that she doesn't even see a problem with it. Yeah. Almost. It's almost like, well, this is just what's happened, I suppose. Maybe, like Debbie and Sue, there is a hope that she'll be popular because she's now slept with the cool kids. Mm. It's not explored at all, but, you know, she seems to just go on with her life. That's arguably a dangerous depiction, I think. But I wonder, is it just accurate? It reminds me of a song and fully you saying that it was essentially a rape and mm. Wayne, you saying that it was played comically actually yeah. made me put this link together, that there's a song by Bob Hudson. He's an Australian comedic singer yeah. from the 70s. Right. And I know there's a song mid-70s, I want to say 74, that... Basically, I can't remember the full lyrics, but basically he's singing about all these quote-unquote naughty things he does. And he starts off by saying, you know, I wanted to write a four-letter word, but I got embarrassed, so I wrote love, la, la, la. And the, the right. innuendo in, in, in is that he was going to write fuck on yeah, the yeah. bathroom wall. I named my dog a four-letter word. But I got embarrassed, so he answers to Rover. Yeah. And then, this is the part that got me, because every time I've heard this song, I laugh right up until this last stanza, and it's, this is the bit that everyone pisses themselves laughing at. Right. And the lyrics are, I went with the guys to rape a girl. Wow. And then the punchline is, but I got embarrassed, so I held her handbag. Oh, gosh. And everyone on the recordings pissing themselves laughing, including women. And all I have thought all these years yeah. is that simply that sentence must have a different context or a different inclination back then than it does now. Well, it, because... well it's a reflection mm. of you know culture mm. and society. And Philip, when you and I review a lot of films, we do sometimes grapple with, let's review the film in context <laughs> of the era, and then we get modern day lens and perspectives keeps coming in. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Mm. This is true. We had something quite similar when we reviewed Gone with the Wind mm. as well, because there's a scene where it is implied that Rhett raped Scarlet. But, you know, again, she wakes up quite happy and so forth. And it seems like that the behaviours and attitudes of men in this time, in this part of the world, are just accepted. Well, that's what guys do. 
That's what men do. And I think that's why this is such a confronting and interesting scene for me. But again, there's lines thrown into it Mm. to play it for laughs. Now, perhaps this makes the final punch when we see Frida on the street even more aggressive. Mm. So the director's intentions or what he was aiming for, I'm not too sure. But I do think he does want to make a really strong commentary on the dangers of this hyper-masculine activity. Mm. There is a stunning shot that after they leave her on the side of the road, Frida stands up and she's in front of a shop. Mm. She walks away... And in the background center in the shop is a sign that says Boys World. That is such a punch in the guts commentary about this culture. She's living in this world where men, where boys really because they're teenagers, dictate the rules. And she goes along with it because, well, maybe she just has to. We think about how the film ends with Debbie and Sue deciding to take up surfing the outcry that causes on the beach. And it isn't until Debbie proves herself to be reasonably good at surfing for a novice that she gets admiration from the girls and Mm. even some respect from the boys. Yes. With the caveat that, well, they're they're dumped (laughs) and they're not going to boyfriends in the morning, but they don't care. But it shows that women just have to work that much harder to be considered as somewhere close to equal to get a little bit... Of respect, And let's face it, the following morning, the girls will probably be like, oh, that was really cool or that was really weird. But they've sacrificed the popularity they've worked so hard for throughout the whole movie. So now Schofield, who played Debbie, did say at the time that the film is feminist in a way. I think it is also a comment on peer group pressure, male chauvinism in teenage groups, school and parent hassles. I tend to agree with her. I think it was such an accurate depiction back then. So what did we think about the performances from the two leading ladies, Nell Sheffield and Jad Kapelja? I really enjoyed Debbie's performance. Yeah. Again, for as much of the movie that I could get into, mm. hers was a really good... Sort of the, the vulnerable moments. Her, her vulnerable moments were vulnerable. Yeah. Her strong moments were strong. Yeah. You always could feel where we were meant to be headed through her, her work. I feel her friend... Her friend was interesting because her and her boyfriend, general boyfriend... Just seem to get lost in the background a little bit for me. Well, I think Sue and Danny have a bit more of a stable relationship. Yeah, that's it. And I think that was meant to contrast what was happening to Debbie. Yeah. And that's great, but then it sort of, as I say, sort of almost got lost in that. Yeah. Because of that, we're, we're meant to sort of see these two almost polar opposites. Yeah. In the same sort of click, but her story just... Faded. Yes. Well, I mean, the film is more from Debbie's perspective. Yeah. She does provide the narration. But you're right. I do like the contrast between the two because Debbie goes through Bruce and then she has a bit more of a stable relationship through Gary, who is such a lovely young boy, mm. and then falls to drugs as well. Fully, what did you think about Nell and Jad as Debbie and Sue? Well, their performances were actually pretty good. Like Phil, I couldn't really get too much into it, especially because of how confronting it was. Yeah. Could you relate to the girls in any way or could you connect to them or empathise with them? I could somewhat relate to them in the sense that I wanted to be the rebellious person, Mm. the rebellious type of teenager when I was growing up, but... I had no way of being able to do that. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm glad that I didn't. Otherwise, I don't think I'd be the person I am today. <laughs> yeah. So Nell and Jazz's performances were pretty good. Like, I, I agree. So Sue was not as, in, not as much in the foreground as, she, as, uh, as Debbie was. Yeah. And, um, but she was a good supporting character, I suppose. Yeah. Because you know, Debbie and Sue being best friends. Yeah. They were they were always supporting each other and you know it was nice to to see that Debbie was going back to Sue about the especially when because she was a virgin mm. and she didn't know what to expect uh, so in that instance it was like yeah 
I could I could see the best the their their friendship. Yeah. And I could relate to the friendship side of things because mm. I'd be able to because I do that with my with my best friends. Absolutely. Because so, I'd ask them questions about yeah. things I didn't know. Yeah, I believe their friendship. Like yeah. I believe Debbie and Sue's friendship is depicted mm. here. It is so authentic the way it is written and the way it is performed. I think Nell and Judd do such a wonderful job here for two young ladies who don't have a lot of acting experience under their belt. Mm. I think they've done a remarkable job. Mm. Yeah. I also do like Jeffrey Rowe as Gary. I think he's quite refreshing. He's, you know, a different side to masculinity. You know, mm. I think he's a refreshing character in that grand scheme of things as well and the other boys do quite well it is very much a boys club yeah here you know the girls are in the backgrounds and just sort of smiling that they're being subservient Mm. to the boys but i think you need these extreme examples to really critique the chauvinistic and sexist and really misogynistic nature of the culture that it depicts so puberty blues is one that endures in australian popular culture it is a famous famous text the movie is iconic and it was developed into a tv series in 2012 which ran for two seasons and so follows the book and then expands on it as well the novel itself has a strong fan base and in the 2002 forward the very lovely kylie minogue actually reflected on her experiences reading the novel and she said i don't recall reading puberty blues so much as devouring it I was about 13, alone in my bedroom with the door firmly shut. I was fascinated. Again, kids could really relate to this story. Kate Gleason, who was writing for the Sydney Morning Herald in 2012, says, The book remains a compelling artifact of Anglo-Australian suburban beach culture, which Cathy Lett describes as tribal and brutally sexist. I think that is one of the most interesting standing points of the film. And I think that's also why it endures, because it is a scathing critique. Mm. And I think that we can sometimes still see remnants of this sexist behaviour and attitude still filter through in Australian societal and political discourse as well. So, yes, made four decades ago, almost, still frighteningly relevant, in my opinion. However, I'm quite curious, Fulia, your final thoughts, and a score out of five... For puberty blues, so I have to say it probably wasn't as engaging for me because, as I said multiple times, because of how confronting it is, mm. um, not being able to relate to the era itself and how they grew up compared to the way that I that we all grew up. Mm. It's it's a it's a little bit difficult to relate to, but there are elements where I can. And, you know, the end that I can empathize as well. I would probably give this a two and a half out of five, just because of how harsh it was for, for, for my viewing. Yeah, no problem. And Philip? I feel that, look, this was a very good movie, mm. very well created and done. And if I was looking at it from... Being a teenager in the era, I would definitely say that it was, you know, one of the best releases, etc., etc. For me, now, at the age that I'm at, it just didn't resonate with me. It, as I've said sort of throughout it, it's a documentary more than anything else. I'd have to give it a good three. Well, I am thoroughly engaged with Puberty Blues. I'm a fan of the novel. I've read it a few times. And I've seen the TV series and I really, really enjoy this movie. I tend to like films that have themes that I can relate to. I think it's themes endure. But I also like films that not only, I suppose, reflect me and some of my experiences, but also the experiences of others or a different angle of those experiences. Because I think that that broadens my insight into different cultures, into different societies and eras. The fact that this movie was made only two years after the novel was published, who wrote the source material and also how this film has been adapted to reflect so much of the instances and the themes within that original text keeps it quite authentic, I think. Yes, creative license is thrown in there, but I think that 
it doesn't hinder the narrative that it is telling. I love the performances in this movie, particularly from Nell Jad and Jeffrey, as I've mentioned before, and also Tina Robinson, who's just heartbreaking as Frida. She's the character that really strikes the most to me. I can draw so much from the young talent that is in this film. And I can sometimes even see myself that talking back to authority figures and being in trouble and <laughs> just, I suppose, wanting to be accepted, but definitely not going to these extremes. I was perhaps a little more rebellious than you, Fulia, <laughs> but definitely not like this. I think I stayed on the outsides and probably better for it, to be perfectly yeah. <laughs> honest. I love Tim Finn's music in this movie as well. The title song and the other two tracks that he has written for this film are absolutely stunning. I love the soundtrack. I think it's beautifully shot. There are long shots of surfing and the beaches as well. The film is very casually paced, and I wonder if maybe some of the issues might be with the pacing. It takes its time. But what I like about that it reflects the mundane and the boredom that the girls feel because they want to have proper relationships, so to speak. They want to go to the movies, go shopping. They want to do more than just sit on the beach and be passive and watch their boyfriends or male friends surf. These girls really are forward thinkers. Again, it's a feminist piece, I still think, because the women, whilst they are driven in this film to be accepted by men, they push through to show that they deserve the same amount of respect. Do they get it? Perhaps not. Unfortunately, two girls on a beach surfing isn't going to change the world, and we still have a long way to go in terms of our relationships between men and women. But I think that this film has so much to say about the era that it was made, and the current era where discourse about sexism and gender performance, gender roles, and the way we just treat one another as human beings. I think it is so well made. I think it's an enduring classic and it's quite iconic for a reason. So a very high four stars from me. Philip. Yes. What do you have for us next time? Well, from one Australian classic to another, Mm -hmm. I'd like to bring to you a movie that I actually did a stage show of. Oh, and you got the copyright holder's permission. Shut up, Wayne. Oh, sorry. Next time, we'll be reviewing the 2005 indie film, Look Both Ways. Wow, can't wait to see this one. I've heard a lot about it. Yes. Have not seen it. And you know, I'm always up for Australian cinema. Yay. Yay. Well, Philip, until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. I've been a Philip Hunting. I've been a Philip Cantaraggio. And you've just, just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Dun, 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 dun. So this is what you do behind the scenes. Where's the ukulele? Oh, shut up, Philip. Ya mole. And scene. Blooper reel. And Philip, how about yourself? What have you been listening to since last podcast? Listening or watching? Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's right. You're making me laugh. I'm trying to think of how to... And what about yourself, Wayne? Okay, I was going to go with that, but that sounds like we've had a fucking edit, but now we'll have to. (laughs) Well, I mean, on the script, it's how about you? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Wayne, how about you? It also does ground the movie in more of a realism than the story and the, um, what's it called, Philip? Premise. Over the course of one hot, let's do it again, one hot. Bruce Beresford's screen adaptation of Gabrielle Carey and Kathy Lett's best-selling... Oh my gosh. Best-selling always gets me. So this is a comment from a post... Poster? Um, Somebody who posts. No. Yep. Um, for a YouTube video, you could yeah. say it from a viewer. Yeah, from yeah, a viewer, yeah. yeah. You know, the guys couldn't care less about what the girls did while they did their own thing. Yeah. Sort of put me off. No, absolutely. And, you know, like, um, what was what was her character's name? Down yeah. bottom should be a Just pause. Who do you want? Uh, oh. was, it, was it Debbie? Debbie, the girl who gets pregnant? Yeah, yeah. well, pregnant. Yeah yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, start your sentence again. Okay. I don't even remember what I said. Mm. I don't know either. This is the point. Ah. It's made to lighten up the film because mm. it is so dark. 
Because if we add... Oh, fuck, I can't do that. Sorry, you no, didn't do last one. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I thought wow, you were laughing. Wow, cut at, off my laugh. <laughs> sorry, I thought you didn't know. It was, I thought you were laughing at my point. <laughs> no, um, no, 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 no. Well, yes, but I was laughing at the idea that it's, um, you know, hey, we've got a dark movie. What's going to lighten it up? Let's have them beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, let me go back. Yeah. Sorry. There are also references to abortion in the film. Fuck me, I can't talk today. Sorry for the other note. Don't normally go this long. Okay. <laughs> um, there are also references of... If I watched this in my teens and I hadn't seen things like Look Both Ways, Kite Runner, uh, any of those sort of mm. coming-of-age movies, then I think that I would... No, oh, sorry. Look Both Ways isn't coming-of-age. So considering that we've got some changes, you know, from the source material, I still think that the movie can be considered a feminist text. It does address sexism and it's quite brutal about it. An example of this is the treatment of the character called Frida, who was played by Tina Robinson. Fulia, what were your thoughts about Tina, who is very early on, you know, uh, labelled as a loser. She's really a nobody. Sorry. Don't you mean Frida? Yeah. What did I say? You said Tina. No, that's her real name. Oh, did I say Tina again? Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. That there's a song by Bob Hudson, and he's an Australian singer, uh, comedy, comedian. <sighs> Speaking of Nell playing Debbie, what did we think of her portrayal? What do we think of that performance? Sorry, could you lead us in one more time? What do you I, think didn't real- I didn't realise these questions were so hard. <laughs> you know? No, I just want... Fully to- <laughs> no, no, but she talked a lot about feminism. That's why yeah, I think yeah, she's is pointing to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, no, I'll, I'll, who I'll, I'll, I'll let you in. Um, Debbie, so the one with the brown hair. Brown who hair. is pregnant. Okay, yeah, cool. Oh, so you know what? Let me lump it into the two girls together, okay? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I think they, um, you know, Sue and... No, I forgot his name. Danny? Danny? Yeah, I think it was Danny, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well... We go from one Australian classic to another. I would like to introduce you, Wayne, mm. to a show that I actually did on stage Ooh. as a stage adaptation. Ooh, hello! So, what have you broken? What have you broken? Mm. <laughs> so, what have you breached copyright with? Mm. <laughs> um, the oh fuck! What year is it? <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. Do you want to start again? Yeah. Just you want my copyright jab? Yeah, that's yeah, fine. funny. Okay. Well, from one Australian classic to another, mm-hmm. I'd like to bring to you a show that I actually did a state out. Hang on, is it a show or a movie? Movie. Use the language. Okay. I would like to bring to you the 2005 Indo... <sighs> I would like to bring... Next time, I'll be... Br-